0: October 28, 1989, U.S. Navy Petty Officer Rhonda Liddell was struck by a drunk driver, resulting in a permanent loss of range of motion and neuropathy in her right arm, as well as damage to her shoulder and traumatic brain injury. She intends to compete in the sport of skeleton at the 2025 Invictus Games and also hopes to qualify for and attend a USGA Adaptive Open in the one-arm golf classification. So let's chat with her. So, Rhonda, I always like to start my conversation with my fellow veterans with the the why question. Why did you enlist? Why did you sign up to serve in the military?
1: I had two reasons. Uh, I couldn't afford college, and I didn't think I was really smart enough for college either. And then there's a pretty long history of the men in my family being in the United States Navy. So it was kind of a no-brainer. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so uh were you the first female in your family then to, to enlist
1: yes yes i was the very first female my father and then all my uncles on my mother's side have uh served all in the navy so
0: all in the navy that's surprising <laughs> yes and 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 so that was was there any question about which branch you were going into then
1: Honestly, I didn't want to go in the Navy because I didn't want to wear bell bottoms. <laughs> but okay. that's a good reason why not to. They offered me the best job, a job I didn't even know I wanted, but it turned out to be super cool. So,
0: yeah, and and so with I am similar to you. I had my dad, my grand, both my grandfathers, a couple some uncles all serving the military, so it was and that sends also a no-brainer uh for me to to enlist. although I was the first part-timer I went into the into the national guard and then everybody else served obviously in in full time in in, uh, in the military and and so what was that that job that that you didn't know you wanted
1: uh data systems technician a fixed uh, link communications gear so anything that like Helped other things communicate, like from the computer to the uh, radar equipment to the sonar equipment. So I had to know a little bit about everything because I am—I was, was the one that made sure that everything could talk to one another.
0: And so was that more of a, a of a technical? I mean, obviously a technical yes, yes, job. Yes, very
1: technical. Yes, I had to go to basic electricity electronic school. I had nearly two solid years of in school training. Before I really? went to the fleet, like after boot camp, it was a it was a six year initial enlistment because two the first two years were spent in school
0: training. Wow, that's a, that is a long schooling. <laughs> and where did you do basic training and the schooling?
1: I did basic training in Orlando. It was the only place women could go in the eighties, uh, and uh, the rest of my training was on the West Coast between San Diego and. Uh, a little tiny place called Mare Island Naval Shipyard in Vallejo, California. Okay.
0: Orlando's definitely familiar with San Diego. I'm familiar with, I wasn't familiar with that one. (laughs) And, and after that, where, where were some of your uh, duty stations and assignments?
1: Well, after that, uh, I got uh, stationed with, uh, Oc Unit one, and I went out to see. And it was considered arduous duty. There wasn't um, direct deposit at the time, so I had to sign a waiver. like I didn't get a paycheck for over a year. Uh, like I had to just open like a checking account and they deposited before there was even like direct deposit. The money went in and I had to give my mother like power of attorney. I mean, I had to really trust the universe. And, uh-huh. um, yeah, so it was considered our just duty. My location was never known. I never even knew where I was pulling into next. Uh-huh. did that for about eighteen months and uh, found some pretty cool stuff out there to see, and uh, came back and tried to change my career a uh, path,
0: yeah and and yeah. so were you uh, Obviously, you didn't know where you were going at the time, but were you, were there some places that you did go that you were able to enjoy and see?
1: Oh, I, I loved every place I went, uh, Guam, Philippines, Hawaii, uh, Guam, if I said that, um, uh-huh. South America. I went to Recife, Fortaleza, and uh, Rio de Janeiro, been to Abidjan, Africa. Uh, been through the um, Panama Canal. I I, I pretty much, I, I sailed all over.
0: Wow, that is. And so what kind of a, a ship were you on?
1: <laughs> well, I was on three ships during that time because uh, uh, the original ship uh, took uh, two blows across the bow in Rio Harbor and sunk uh, during a storm. Two other ships, Drug Anchor, so so we uh, got busted up, and I always say that my favorite ship was the NOAA ship Discoverer. That's who I sailed the most on, and it was really small, only 303 feet long. I might as well have been in the Coast Guard, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it was all right. I loved it, and I, like we got to pull into the coolest ports because it was such a small ship. We actually moored at, at Coast Guard stations. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. That makes sense. Since you were small enough, you were able to, uh, and nimble enough, probably be able to do that, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you said you wanted to switch. Were you able to switch your uh, military assignment or occupation?
1: I, uh, when I was out to sea in Guam, I discovered EOD. And I was, when I got back, I did everything in my power to convince a bunch of men that this woman could do the job. And I managed to be number three in the United States Navy to get accepted, number three female, to get accepted to EOD school. But while I was waiting for my detailer in Washington, D.C. to release me from D.S. to another job called E.T., which we were like the same thing, basically, um, I got hit by a drunk driver and it changed the course of my entire life.
0: Yeah, so that's so that was around that same time then I knew that you had uh, had come into to kind of a disability in that regard. Um exactly. so so um were you able to stay in longer I, or
1: I stayed in for nearly 4 years after I got in that accident, but just about every second of those 4 years I was on limited duty or having a surgery or doing rehab, uh you know, physical rehab, uh And I I wrote to Congress to stay in and I actually got myself into a little bit of trouble for jumping the chain of command. But but uh, it's it it did purposefully work to keep me in just a little bit longer. But uh, eventually I was forced out uh, with a medical um, discharge. So.
0: Yeah, I could see where they where they would not uh, be uh, too too kind on on uh, 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 usurping the the chain of command <laughs> a little yeah. bit, and and so overall, how was your military? How would you define your military service? What what did you like? What did you get out of it? Um, um, how, oh, what did it mean to you?
1: It it meant the world to me because I. I didn't see myself getting out. I I was a lifer. I I had eight years w- when they forced me out, and I I really was planning on spending you know my entire adult life. Uh, mm-hmm. And the reason is because I felt like I was uh, a part of something much bigger and positive than than myself. Like I I was a part of a positive force that was. At least I thought making positive, good changes in the world, and and that's what was most important to me. That I was bigger. I was with something bigger than myself.
0: Yeah, I think that the call of service and call of duty, you know, really uh, resonates with a lot of us that that uh, that go in. So I totally, totally concur with that that uh, sentiment that you have. So, and throughout that journey, uh, you know, in terms of recovery, did you immediately? Discover Adaptive Sports, or where where, and how did you discover Adaptive Sports?
1: You know, I got out in 1993, and my wounds are mostly invisible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, unless you see me try to be physical, you wouldn't know that my right arm doesn't, you know, has range of motion issues and that my hand is disabled. So in 1993, if you weren't missing a limb, the VA really did not sign you up to do any kind of adaptive sports. So I continued to try to play with the, with the regular people. And every time I did, I hurt myself one way or the other. And uh, well, eventually I just decided that I couldn't be physical anymore. And uh, I was at that time, a single mom, two kids. So I just like devoted my life to them and while riding my recliner didn't seem so bad. But then when my daughter, who's my youngest, was going to college, um, I took a look around and I was like, this chair is really nice that I'm sitting in, but is this my life? Watch the birds go to the feeder and watch the leaves change. And, you know, I'm like, I need more, like, I had a really good mental toolbox at that point. I had done a lot of like uh, therapeutic art stuff and I'm a writer and poetry and painting. And, you know, I had a lot of good tools, but I still had this gaping hole in my heart because ultimately I needed to be a physical being. Right. And Mm -hmm. so it was right around the beginning of 2019 that um, I was told about uh, move United and my local uh, adaptive sports foundation in Wyndham, New York. Mm-hmm. And I signed up to do a snowboarding and skiing three day camp. And I mm-hmm. rang my bell, but uh, <laughs> it was cool because I had people who had my best interest, uh, you know, at heart and, um, I learned about being adaptive and that you don't have to do things like everyone else does them. And it's okay if you can't do them full bore like you used to. And it really started helping me become a more physical person. And so I would say 2019 is when I was this, this current adaptive athlete was reborn.
0: That's awesome. So is it kind of like that aha moment or, or epiphany that you, that you had it, at that time?
1: It was. And, you know, I have to give a big shout out to the the Afghanistan and Iraqi veterans because it's because of their plight, you know, that that society in general noticed how the Vietnam guys had been totally just ignored. And then like us Persian Gulf people, we got a parade after, you know, 72 hours. <laughs> right. And. So, if it wasn't for the Afghan and uh, Iraq um, men and women who served and came back hurt, um, I wouldn't have the opportunities I have right now. Um, and they really taught me a lot about how to um, how my change my perspective and see things from a different angle.
0: Yeah, and you, Rhonda, you mentioned something that was that I think resonates with a lot of people in terms of just the invisible disability. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit more about um, you know how that has uh, you know again with people that that don't see that you have a disability how that might um, you know impact their their viewpoint of you or how that how that has um, you know kind of how society has viewed that and 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 impacted you.
1: Well, at first it was really pretty rough. Um, I can I can remember you know like I have disabled veteran handicapped plates on my car and as a single mother with a upper arm you know disability um i was given those plates because i had two toddlers and groceries and you know it was uh, to to unload and load cars was really a hassle and in the beginning i would get all kinds of looks from people when i pulled into the veterans or even a handicapped spot and get out and people would just give me one look over and you know, I didn't have a limp or a gimp. And, you know, I could move my arm as high as my shoulder. So no one knows. And and it did bother me at first. I don't even give it a second thought right now. Because good, good. because <laughs> you don't you don't know what another person is going through, honestly. Right. And and you should always give everyone the benefit of the doubt unless they've already proven to you otherwise. So I I take it all with a grain of salt and I try not to get upset when people question me anymore. But it was very difficult at first. And it was also difficult looking at myself when I would spend the day going to the VA, right, for my own uh, appointments. And uh, my brothers and sisters are actually missing limbs and can't even wheel themselves in a wheelchair. And and here I am, and I was given 100% right away. And, and and they're fighting to even get 50 and, and they're missing two limbs. And so that was another uh, point of contention in my own heart and head that I had to reconcile, you know, like, well, why did I deserve to get 100% and never had to fight? And here's people who are actually missing parts of their body and they can't. So th- that was another point. Uh, rough uh, period. And I probably still do question that a little bit, especially when I hear the younger vets speaking about how difficult it is for them to get what they deserve um, from the VA. Um, Yeah.
0: yeah. And going back to the Adaptive Sports Foundation, and, and, um, and so how far are they from you, by the way?
1: Uh, They're about an hour and fifteen minutes away, and like they are the reason that I do just about everything I do. They they helped me perfect my one arm golf game. They uh, taught me how to use my recumbent cat trike that I use regularly. Um, And when I didn't have anything else to do, they just kept me doing anything. Like I hike, I bike, I'll do whatever. I had to narrow so, it down a little now, though. I have a <laughs> lot of things
0: <laughs> on my plate right now. Indeed, yeah, and I want to talk about some of those too, by the way. And and so, do you still get? How often do you still get out on the slopes?
1: I was just at Ski Spec.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah,
1: as, as an ambassador, um, and I believe I did fairly well, considering it was my first time back up on a board since April. Uh, it was a blast. Uh, and I'm so grateful that that Adapt the Sports Foundation and the other places that I've gone in between here and there have uh, taken the time to teach this fifty something year old how to snowboard because I didn't even stand up on that sucker till I was fifty two. i'm fifty six now. so
0: and and why snowboard over ski?
1: Because <laughs> I tore both ACLs and like, I have this big thing about visualization. And so whenever I say skis and put me in the same picture, it's like a bad helicopter accident. And I just see my ACLs not being attacked anymore. And I figured, well, at least if I'm on a snowboard, my knees are lined up and they're, you know, but it's a really steep learning curve uh, to learn how to snowboard. And I was a fall hazard because of my TBI. But I I can do it now. I can do it now, and I'm so grateful and thankful.
0: And, and uh, so, are you a black diamond? Can you go out on black diamonds?
1: I, I certainly can do black diamonds. Oh my! Diamond. Oh my! I, okay. I prefer the steeper hills. I don't go fast, but I but I, but I love to cut across, and so I like the steeper hills because it's just easier for me to hold the edge, uh, you know, with gravity on my side than yeah. it is to do a long flat traverse. Uh, I'm more likely to fall down going slow and and and
0: not steep, yeah, no, I'm like you with skiing. I mean, I, I've skied and 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 just me thinking of me on skis uh, makes me nervous and and I you know, um because i I have not been able to master getting the the, the skis to stay apart from each other, right? so um i, I I've crossed them more than i than I fair I want to admit. So one day I need to probably try snowboarding. i mean, if it's not too, it's not too late then.
1: <laughs> it's like two eight, and just just put some padded pants on
0: exactly exactly <laughs> and you and you mentioned some other sports that you have been able to try and do, so what other what sports are keeping you the bus, the busiest the most
1: uh golf I play lots of one arm golf and uh the skeleton paraskeleton. i uh, I'm on the paraskeleton team. And that's what I do. All my hard physicality stuff is to keep impressing those Olympians to let me play. I don't ever plan on being a Paralympian. I really think I'm too old. But just the fact that I get to go ride such a a, a BA uh, piece of equipment and hang out with Olympians is like one of the coolest things in the world to me. And uh, it's why I do threshold training and make myself sweat for days a week uh, keep my cardio training intact yeah
0: so that's kind of a relatively new sport right on the para side
1: yeah we're still actually uh, i'm part of the team that's trying to uh bring it as an exhibition to the um invictus games in um whistler in 2025 um So that's my ultimate goal for that sport actually. Once if I am able to do that, I would be happy to uh, take a step back and let some younger vets who actually might have a chance to uh, make it to the Paralympics in. but we have to there has to be, I think, like ten other countries to participate in order for it to become a Paralympic sport. And although our brother, a uh, bobsled, because uh, Skeleton and Bobsled, we train together. Mm-hmm. Bobsled actually has an active para team, and they're over there playing World Cups right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the Skeleton does not because we don't have enough other countries, uh, you know, in the queue. And it's just my goal to try to help convince people, you know, uh, from other countries that this is a possible. And it's actually one of the safest sliding sports because your center of gravity is so low on that sled it's safer than bobsled you get thrown around in that uh bobsled but uh on the skeleton uh you're two inches off that ice and as long as you stay calm you probably are not coming off the sled so
0: that's really cool and does does skeleton fall what what ngb or national governing body does it fall under
1: oh the international bobsled skeleton I I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I sent something email about... all the
1: time, right. International <laughs> Bobsled Skeleton Found Federation or something like that.
0: So it does fall under same as it doesn't skeleton doesn't have its own. It falls under bobsled and skeleton, right?
1: Right, yes. We fought yes, we're a brother and sister uh
0: yeah, bobsled okay.
1: skeleton together.
0: Yeah. And so, so when you're training, you're training with USA Bobsled. Then is that is that where the trainings and thing, events you go to?
1: Yeah, I train at Lake Placid.
0: That's cool. Yeah,
1: it is the coolest thing. Yeah, Which I get to go awesome. to the Empire State Games in just just a month from now.
0: Yeah, that's probably not that far from you either. Then right?
1: About four hour drive. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and for those that. I know you talked a little bit about it, but for those that don't know the difference between skeleton and bobsled in general, what is the what is the difference for lay people like me?
1: Well, a bobsled, um, well, for para people, is uh, only one person, and there's two categories. You can be a push, which means that your legs work well enough to actually push and load yourself in the um, sled, and then there is a non-push. Where they've built a uh, a hydraulic machine that will push the sled and all sleds get the exact same push so it's all about your steering at that point so if if you are uh, um you can't you can't push your sled there is this uh, machine that has been built and replicated at every um course in the world that uh holds the para um Athletes um, venues, yeah. uh, so they all get the uh, equal push. And so anyway, bobsled, you're in a little bullet, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. in a little bullet in a sled. But um skeleton, it's just you on a flat board that has a little rib cage thing that holds you in, and your head first, toes pointed, your nose is two inches off the ground. Uh, only thing you have protecting you is a helmet, and well, I use my children's old shin guards from soccer on my arms in case I I hit the wall. That way, I don't bruise up so bad. That's it. <laughs> and,
0: and on the para side, are there like is there a push and a non push on that too, or how does that
1: work? No, um, all all um para skeleton athletes are pushed, but it's only a one leg push. So whether you have an upper, uh, 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 an upper extremity uh, problem or a lower, as long as you have one good working lower limb, you can still push that sled. Um, okay. You're you're on on a knee and one leg pushes, and the uh-huh. other two hands hold on to that rib cage or the side, uh, however you want to mount your sled. Um, but yeah, uh, one leg pushes.
0: And so, how many on the the u s. side uh, are in that paraskeleton? I mean, you're the first one that I've talked to that does para- paraskeletons. so that's really cool. Um, but how many others are there right now in the u s. that are that are part of this movement?
1: are uh, It's probably about six of us, and three okay. of us are still babies. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All I've right, all um, right.
1: been doing it for like two and a half years, man. This is going to like starting my third year. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So,
1: um, but there's a cut there's, there's, well, there's four that leave from start, uh, one, which is the highest start at Lake Placid. Um, and, uh, although they name a national team every year, it only has two athletes. So, so if there's six or seven of, of us playing, only two, uh, you know, get to be on the national team. That's not my goal anyway. My goal is to just keep doing that's the coolest thing in the world I've ever done. I just want to keep doing yeah. it.
0: <laughs> and so, my next and obvious follow up question is why? That sounds just like a crazy activity. What is it about Periskeleton that, that excites you and it wants you to and has you coming back for more and more?
1: Uh, well, at first, it was that they told me I could. And mm. so then it took me nearly two years to convince the people who were in charge that I was even fit enough to have get a shot. And uh, once I got a shot, I knew on my first ride that I was either going to say, OK, thanks for the chance and I'm out of here. Or I was going to be in love and hooked, and I was hooked. And <laughs> I I would say that the thing that keeps me wanting to come back to Periskeleton is that for a minute of my life, it is pure chaos. Mm. But I have to stay totally calm, cool, collected, relaxed, and and to me it has been some of the most insightful um, tools to use in my own everyday journey with PTSD.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So it's about being calm and all the chaos, huh?
1: Yes. <laughs> yes you, to, you can't tense up on that sled because just tensing a shoulder can change, shift the direction of the sled. There's so you have to stay relaxed, you have to breathe, you have to count your turns. So I've just it has taught me that when things are so fast that I can't even really comprehend them, that I just pick out a few things that I know I can control, and they normally have to do with just me, like mm-hmm. staying relaxed, like yep. taking that breath, like turning my head in corner fourteen. Uh the those Few little things that I can control, uh, controlling them. And before I know it, I'm out of there. I'm done. <laughs> and I'm saying, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and then you can celebrate Exactly. Yes. <laughs> but but being calm and all that chaos is is really just a metaphor for life right so and 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 all of the things that we we try to tackle on a on a daily basis so that's one of the things that i love about sports is is uh, the fact that it can teach us and and has lessons for us that we can learn and and derive from you know on on every in everything that we do so that's really cool and and what so you t- you're you going to a, a, a training camp or something? in, in, yeah, I'm in... Go-
1: Yes, yes. I'm going to the Empire State Games uh, the very first week of February, and I get to compete. And I'm hoping to actually leave from start one this year. Like, I know I'm in good enough shape, and I know that I have the skills. So as long as I can convince my coach to let me go, that means that the following years I I will have a shot at the national team. Um, you know, yeah, like, and awesome. like I said, my goal really is just to be part of the crew that makes it to the Invictus games. But, you know, while, while there's a window open, you might as well keep jumping for it. Sure. You
0: know? Absolutely. <laughs> and, and so what does start one, what does what starting from start one mean? Is it a higher, is yes, it per, sir. Like I mean, a higher...
1: It means, um, where I start from right now at start four, I'm not allowed to push myself because there's no grooves in the track right there. So my okay. coach has to give me a gentle push. And then I, I go down and I enter the, I enter the track at, uh, turn, um, nine. Um, but if I leave from start one, there's, um, 20 turns and, uh, Lake Placid. And so, <laughs> So that, that means instead of doing fifty miles per hour when I get to the bottom, I'll be doing sixty to seventy miles an hour.
0: Oh, that sounds awesome, but 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 uh frightening at the same time.
1: <laughs> yeah, it would be especially kind of crazy, I think.
0: <laughs> and and um and so how do you train for a skeleton? And obviously you talked a lot about the mental side and, and being calm and relaxed and focused, but from a physical side, how do you train for a skeleton?
1: Well, (laughs) I'm sure there's other training I could be doing, but mostly, uh, I I do a lot of cardio training so that I can, uh, handle all the G forces in those turns. Mm. Um, and, uh, uh, i cardio trained on a trike so um uh the same uh pattern that i would use to push with my one leg i i use those same muscles to fire off on my recumbent trike so um and and then like uh weight training and uh I just do other aerobics like Zumba. I d- I just try to stay active and lose more weight every year, so that when I show up and my coach sees me, he's like, "You look really good," and I'm like, "Yes, let me go from start one now."
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> always always aiming for that goal, right? Yes. <laughs> and obviously, skeleton is a is a winter sport. So how do you how do you train for skeleton in off season
1: months? Oh, I just keep I just keep being totally physical. And and actually, I probably do just as much training at Lake Placid in the summer as I do in the winter, because at Lake Placid, they have this thing called the ice house. Um, And so that's where you learn to push your sled. And so we do ice house training. So I learned to push, even though I haven't been able to push myself, you know, from start one yet. Um, I'm pretty efficient uh, and learn how to get faster and how ha- how to get off my sled and on my sled while it's moving, just in case anything ever happens. You know, like I have all those skills. So we, we uh, get to train with the actual Olympians and they run us through morning, afternoon and nighttime trainings and we watch films and so. Just that's like awesome. a regular uh, Olympic athlete would be doing.
0: Yeah. 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 That That's awesome. I, and obviously, besides being a mom and sports, what else are you passionate about and what else are you doing these days?
1: Oh, well, I guess I'm passionate about uh, my poetry. I write poetry and I perform it uh, on stage and in front of anyone who will listen and uh, it's mostly about military. And I just wrote a brand new one right before Ski Spec about how adaptive sports has changed my life. So uh, you can find that on my uh, profile in Move United. Uh, I have two poems attached there. So that's
0: awesome yeah I, I heard about the poetry uh at ski spec since I wasn't there this year but um and so that's awesome and that's another outlet right uh sports is an outlet uh for a lot of us and and arts and whether it's poetry or music or whatever is also an outlet so I think uh I think it's nice that you're using probably what I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a psychologist or a, a brain specialist, but you're using, you know, multiple parts of the brain at the same, you know, by doing, you know, sports and, uh, and poetry as well.
1: Yes, yeah, it's probably very good for my TBI, right? I figure that's my best bet to stave off the bad consequences of so many hits in the head is to stay active physically and, and to keep my brain active. So I do a lot of, uh, word gymnastics.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Rhonda, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me.